0: Hello and welcome to the Long Ball Football Podcast, a weekly podcast by two brothers about all things football in Portugal. You're listening to myself, Albert, and as always, I'm joined by my brother, Barney. How are you doing, Barney? How's things?
1: Yeah, good, man. I've got a book. Oh, yeah. Um, I just wanted to show you. I got it from, I don't know, have you ever been to Barter Books up near here? It's um, like a massive old um, second-hand bookshop. And I always head to the sports section and the football section with a sort of a hope of finding books that don't exist, if you know what I mean, like, you know, uh, say, like, Ricardo Cresma's autobiography translated into <laughs> English, like, some, something like that. Um I've never really found anything related to Portuguese, but I have found this book, which is called Football Lexicon by Leon Woodhouse. Nice. Basically, like, a dictionary of, like, football phrases. So, I've got long ball here. If no, is, <laughs> okay, here relates, but, So, long ball is uh, conical, so much so that phrases like root one now seem to be preferred. Long balls themselves could be pumped or reined into opposition boxes <laughs> when they threaten to be effective, whereas ineffectual teams resort to or fall back on them. Remind <laughs> me when we were trying to find a name for this podcast, though, and the, and the mm. alternative that we did come close to, which I don't know it's worth saying the story again, but I, I was quite, in, I wanted to call it, um, and you can bring your fucking chanter, <laughs> which <laughs> yes. we decided against the swear.
0: I think it was probably too niche, and having a podcast with a swear word, it would be uh, a bit too much. So we settled on. Long ball football, which, uh, I mean, probably not the best name, but I think we're in a bit too deep now to change it. I quite like it. It does the job. Well, look anyway, um, another episode this week, uh, and we're going to run through some, uh, some of the games from the weekend, some a little bit more uh, controversial than others, shall we say. Um, we'll get on to that shortly. It's also the last uh, game week before the international break. So next couple of weeks, we uh, will see what we're going to be doing about a podcast. Maybe we'll come up with some little episodes that we can do uh, while there's no games on. It always surprises me how quickly this... uh, international break comes around. We've only just got dug in, stuck into the league and now uh, it's been taken away from us. But that doesn't mean we can't round up all the action from this week, which we will do shortly. Firstly, though, Barney, um, this is the first time we've done a podcast since the Champions League and Europa League groups were announced. So just quickly to run through that news. Um, Braga, of course, the first time in the Champions League in a very long time. Um, maybe they would have hoped for an easy group stage to, to get out of not quite what they got. They are in a group with Real Madrid, Napoli and Union Berlin. Uh, Benfica find themselves in a group with Inter Milan, Salzburg and Real Sociedad. And then Porto are in a group with Barcelona, Shakhtar, Donetsk and Antwerp. So I think possibly on paper Braga have the toughest, uh, toughest draw of them all, but I mean, you know, it's the first time back in the Champions League. I don't think they want an easy group. You know, they want to play big teams, and you know, they want to go to these cool stadiums. I think that's what I think that's what the fans want as well, surely.
1: Yeah, I think it's easy for us to sort of forget about that fan experience and then just think about coalition points. But like, yeah, like you say, like it, this is the whole thing about the Champions League. It's similar with like a lot of um, friends I've got who are Newcastle fans. Like, they're like they're not no expectations about getting out of the group, but. Fucking hell, we're getting to go to like you know watch Mbappe play and stuff like that. So that's why a lot of Braga fans will be feeling as well. So some really tasty ties there. Um, slightly better draw for Porto and Benfica, were looking to be to progress as well. So yeah, some really interesting games.
0: Mm, yeah, I mean, but Braga, I think it will probably even be a a tough ask to finish third in that group and drop down to the Europa League. But certainly Porto and Benfica, I think, can consider themselves one of the two best teams in those groups. So I think, you know, not to put too much pressure on, but I think we will have uh, have hopes of them getting out of the group stage, which would be good. And of course, Sporting in the Europa League, um, they're in a group with Atalanta, Sturm Graz from Austria, and then Barney, I'm going to have a go at pronouncing this team's name, Rakov Chetova. Could not tell you, mate, could not tell you, but um, sounds like a group which Sporting could top to be honest. And uh, you know, they'll have ambitions to go pretty far in the Europa League as a competition. Um, but look, let's not waste any more time. Um, and let's get into the action from the Premier Liga this week. And on this podcast, Barney, we of course enjoy all the uh, the the good things that Portuguese football offers us. We we enjoy the the wonderful side of, of the Premier Liga, but we don't shy away from the ugly side, and I think we definitely saw Um, the ugly side of the Primera Liga in Porto's 1-1 draw with Aruka And of course, the scenes which followed uh, the game, which we will come on to shortly. On the pitch, we were treated to a game that was as entertaining as it was shambolic. Um, It was a game with 22 minutes of stoppage time, Um, a game where aruka went 1-0 up in the 84th minute and were on track for a historic win in his Stadio Um, there was then a final 20 minutes of madness where VAR considered two penalties for Porto before finally giving them one at the third time of asking. That penalty was then saved by Ignacio D'Arabareña. Um The referee indicated that there would be 17 minutes of, of stoppage time and then we actually played 22 and it was in the 19th minute of stoppage time. Um, That Evan Ilsen scored an equalising goal for Porto. There's so much to discuss here, Brian. We're going to do our best to cover all the main bits, um, including the aftermath of the game, which I think we'll come on to later. Um, But where to start with this one? I think, you know, a game which, let's be honest, I think got a little bit out of control Um, And ended with the Primera Liga's image in possibly a slightly worse place than before the game started. Shall we start, though, by trying to address the game itself? Because it was a fairly uneventful game until the 84th minute um, when Aruka scored that opening goal. They really frustrated Porto. Porto struggled to create any real chances. And then Aruka took that chance themselves through Christo, that striker we've spoken about so often already this season. And it was a wonderful solo goal and a goal that I thought they, they
1: really deserved. Yeah, well, he'd been threatening quite a lot of the game, hadn't he? He showed a few glimpses of getting the best of uh Jean Mario and, uh, and on that um, left-hand side for Ruka, right-hand side for Porto. Some really great dribbling and real like belief and confidence, you know, really smart touches. Basically, when he got in the penalty box, you know, he, he, he looked dangerous, didn't he? And he's, he's been an excellent sign for Ruka. I'm really, really impressed with him. Um, I was impressed with Daniel Ramos for the way he adjusted his team. Right, he, he's um he switched to five at the back, um, but still kept Chris, Christo in the team and and, and Giga. Um Silla, once again I, I, I looks looks really good. But the the thing I had a little look at Daniel Ramos's history in the Premier League against the bigger teams in the when he was at San, Santa Clara manager the, around the time where he got them into the European spots. It was interesting. He's never lost by more than one goal against a big three or four. You know, they've always been in games. They've never been like thrashed or or, or whipped or anything like that. They've always kept kept things tight and, and kept themselves with an opportunity to get points. And they've actually, in his time at Santa Clara, he got a, a draw against Benfica and a win against Braga. So it shows this, you know, we, we talk about this all the time when smaller teams play the the big teams. Some some managers adapt and then adjust for the, the game in front of them. Some managers sort of just keep doing what they're doing and it just all, all goes to pot. But I thought Daniel Ramos was very smart and, and, and showed his his worth in, in, in the way he set up uh Aruka to yeah really really sort of um frustrate Porto. You use the
0: phrase adapt. I used the word frustrating. When it came to how Aruka managed the game, of course Others, including even Marcano in his post-match interview, used the term anti-Jogo, a phrase I know neither of us love. Um, how do you see it when a, a smaller team comes to a side like Porto and, and plays in a certain way where, you know, let's face it, they they, they try and manage the game? I personally, I'm of the opinion that you get a lot of big three fans frustrated when um, when small teams come to them and play that way where they try and... Uh, limit how much the big team can play personally you know I think these big teams are, are happy to have all the money have all the resources have all the best players but then they moan when these teams with, with a minuscule amount of resources compared to them come and, and do pretty much the only thing that they can do in that game which is to try and frustrate the 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 bigger team and I think you know Aruka did it did it really well in this game they didn't allow Porto to play in the way that they wanted to play and I think it's as, as simple as that and when you're a small team against a big team you have to do what you can what you can control in order to try and get a result of the game
1: well look, I'm not even sure what way Porto wants to play out but I mean I, they've been playing some pretty bad football for a long time I would say do you know what I mean it's it's, <laughs> it's not <laughs> so I, I sort of don't really get that like uh, yeah I I Zach Lowy put it perfectly on Twitter. He said Porto play absolutely diabolical football every week and will somehow get 80 plus points at the end of the season. <laughs> <laughs> um it's true. So I, I yeah, we you know we've we've done we've done that discussion on But I, I, I think I think it was the right tactics from Aruku obviously where well, they got a point and they probably should have come away with the three points. I, I do want to address the thing we were talking about about this these huge amounts of stoppage time because I'm not sure we've properly talked about on the podcast obviously the Portuguese league like many other leagues across Europe are adopting this new system where it's sort of like a keeping as every time the ball goes out of play the referee's are actually keeping track of the amount of time and that's why we're seeing these they did it at the World Cup didn't they that's why we're seeing these larger amounts of um, additional time injury time but um, of course with the Primera Liga, who has one of the lowest amounts of in-ball time in, in the whole of Europe, there's no wonder we're getting 17 20 minutes at <laughs> added time because um, yeah, it's, you know, there's that much, <laughs> there's that much uh, time to be made up and as, I guess what you sort of touched on there is perhaps Veruca sort of didn't help themselves in that sense by playing anti-Jogger if you will, to, you know that, that because the minutes just kept getting added on right to the end
0: you know that was the only thing I, I disagreed with with Daniel Ramesson. in his post match interview he said um uh something along the lines of you know as a manager I've never seen that amount of of stoppage time given and I think that was a bit um you know he knows what the updated rules and you can look at this kind of information it's it's probably available on the the Premier League website the the average total game time for games this season has been 100 minutes so we're seeing at least 10 minutes of stoppage time Added to every single game, so yeah, I don't think it it was too surprising. The one stat that I found incredibly interesting, and I'm really sorry I I couldn't verify it because I saw it on Twitter and I really wanted to find a source to verify it. It's quite hard to find websites which give stats about actual playing time, you know. And this is what you were talking about. This is about how much of the game is spent actually playing football. And I think I saw recently some stats where the Premier League was one of the lowest, you know, out of ninety minutes of football. Premier League was averaging something like 54 minutes of actual playing time and, and games just as an example I think the league at the top was predictably the Premier League and they were averaging sort of 65 uh, minutes of actual playing time well Barney in this game of 112 minutes played there were only 64 minutes of actual playing time so you know they did complain about the extra time and I think it perhaps was a little bit suspect that they gave 17 minutes and we played 22 but the one thing you can't say is that this, this stoppage time wasn't justified because um, it absolutely was. But I, I, I want to talk about Porto. I mean, you alluded to it, Barney. The fact, simple fact is they're not playing well. And a lot of Porto fans were kind of disappointed after the game and disappointed at the referees and the VAR. And we're going to come onto to that in a second. But I think um, the simple fact is that, that Porto are just not playing well enough at the moment. You know, they came from behind to get a point at home against Aruka. Um, they've, they've done that so much this season. Um, they did. They came from behind on, on the opening day of the season against Morenz. They were 1-0 down in that game. They relied on a late goal to make it 2-1. It was another late goal that they needed um, against another newly promoted side in Ferens. That was their second game of the season. Again, very unconvincing. And then in the third game last weekend against Rio Ave, they scored two goals in stoppage time. Um, to win the game, and that was against a team who's, who's who's experienced a transfer ban and hasn't signed a single new player. So, you know, I don't think anyone can really look at that performance from Porto and think it's anything other than than what we expected. You know, they're, they're a team struggling to create chances. They've sold their most creative player. Their best players are out of form. Their manager is currently serving a touchline ban because he can't control himself. And I think they're very, very lucky to have 10 points from four games. And and let's remember, they're currently unbeaten. I think they're very, very lucky to still be um, unbeaten in this league. The signs are worrying, but I think there were some positives. And and for me, the positive Barney was in midfield, um, especially when Alan Varela came on, because I thought with Varela and uh, Gonzalez in midfield, I think they did look uh, pretty decent. And those two new signings, I think, could be the basis of a pretty good midfield.
1: Yeah, when Varela came on, it just sort of gave Gonzalez a bit more of an opportunity to to get forward. And then you know, you, Ivan Jamie came on, got the pre-assist, and and then Borges got the assist, and Evan Nelson put it in. Like, there's, it does feel like there's new players to come into this Porto team, and that 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 also feels very much needed. It just it's just a question of how conscious how's going to do it and how quickly he's going to do it because he you know he, he does usually like to take his time before integrating new players into the team. Um just to sort of flip it back to Uruka out for the sort of positive angles, I thought obviously Arab Burrena in an incredible save for the penalty. Great game once again. Um
0: not called up for the Uruguayan national team, Barney, but in fact, um Franco Israel plays for sporting, he's not played a minute of league football in the last two seasons, was called up. Not that we care about the Uruguayan national team, <laughs> we don't need to get into that as another thing to get annoyed about.
1: But he, you know, he deserves he deserves credit, he deserves the because he's a fantastic keeper and, and his his penalty saves are as unreal. I, I, he must be, yeah, he must be up f- close to a record for a keeper who saved most penalties in, in, in this league. Um, and in particular, you know, like I mentioned, them going to five at the back, which is a change from they they usually play four at the back. Rafael Fernandez coming in, young Portuguese um, centre back. Um, I think you got called up for the under 21s uh, as well for Portugal. What a, what an incredible game he had. And you know, um, I think uh, Montero as well, the Spanish uh, centre back who they signed from Besiktas. It's thrown straight in as well looked really good so they 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 they, they, play, they did play really well defensively um to frustrate porto but it's the one thing that we always say about porto is that they i I've, i know we've just been complaining about the the, the poor style of play they've been do, playing and, and and how unappealing it is to watch but there is something incredible about the way that they always fight to the end. Like, and and in that sense, you do have to give Conscious a little bit of credit and the players because they they always have that never die attitude. And 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 you know it's got my point once again.
0: And just think about how far they could go if they combine that attitude with actual uh, footballing ability on the pitch. They'd be they'd be a very decent team. Um, well, look, of course, as I alluded to earlier, the, the drama didn't end after the final whistle was finally blown, as we had. Not one, not two, but three comunicado oficiales, the clean sweep of the big three clubs, all put out statements uh, after this game. Firstly, Barney, uh, we had Porto who asked for the result of the game to be annulled because of a VAR screen failure. Now, I can't believe it's taken us this long to get to this part of the game. But for anybody who perhaps was under a rock and didn't see what happened, during the match. There was a moment, I think it was in stoppage time or right towards the end of the game when Porto 1-0 down, they're chasing the game uh, and referee is told to go and look at uh, the VAR screen for a potential penalty on Mediterranean. It's not a penalty and and they come to the right decision. But, incredibly, there was some kind of electrical failure which meant that the screen wasn't working and we had the absolutely... Shambolic scenes of a referee standing on the pitch on the phone to the VAR team, discussing whether or not this was a penalty. It was farcical, but to be fair, they did get to the right decision in the end. But uh, clearly, Porto very unhappy with that because uh, they used that as an argument as to why the uh, the result of this game should be should be disregarded. That was then followed by a statement from Benfica. Barney. Now, you might be asking, what have Benfica got to do with this game? Um, well they followed suit with a statement asking for clarification as to why 17 minutes was added and then 22 minutes played. And they also suggested that the goal itself did seem to be offside. Um, And then, of course, out of nowhere, in comes Sporting, who don't want to be left out. And they put out, which for me was the most incredible statement, because it basically said, without naming him, it was basically a statement that said, maybe Turemi dives too much and he is damaging the reputation of the league. Um, it was quite extraordinary, to be honest with you. Porto's uh, statement, I thought, was a little bit rich to criticise the VAR and the referee, considering the referee gave them 22 minutes of stoppage time. Um, it was three times the ref-, ref went to consider giving them a penalty. Um, they did get that penalty in the end. Benfica was kind of a nerd for football, wasn't it, really? We're used to that. But then Sporting's was just hilarious. So I thought they just didn't want to be left out of, of all the
1: drama. I don't want to stir things up, man, but I do think the goal was offside. But look, <laughs> the, 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 <laughs> the, the, it did the, look a little bit offside, just say. a little bit offside, man. There's pretty some of the tight calls they've been calling recently as well. Like, <laughs> but look, I think um, we've already discussed about why the, the amount of minutes are being added, and I think that's that's exactly why there was seventeen minutes, uh, maybe and plus twenty-two in this game. Um, I think it's such a shame because the 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 whole discussion and so much of of Twitter afterwards was there was so much about conspiracies and not conspiracies, sorry, but like, you know, dodginess and people paying and by whether that stuff has happened or not. I think what's really unfortunate in these situations when we you know, we want the league to be better perceived. We want, you know, it, 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 it just doesn't sit right when it's, it's, there's so much uproar and, and it's so much finger pointing and so much like, you know, it, I just don't think it helps things. I, 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 I the, we all know that the the refereeing standards aren't great in the, in this in this league to sort of undermine all these all these things by sort of suggesting corruption and stuff whether there is or not it just doesn't feel like it's the right thing to do no
0: it is it is a certain lack of professionalism that um does damage the reputation of the league and i think that's a that's a good place to lead this actually and i do want to just add one last thing which was that during the game and as it was happening you know my ho- my kind of um I found it quite amusing basically and, and 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 you know I think that's one way of looking at the situation, which is that Portuguese football at times can be farcical and it can be kind of incredible to watch in, in in a hilarious way. And I have to say I in a quite macabre way, I loved watching this game because it was just ridiculous and 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 incredible but i think not everyone shares that opinion so i don't want to disregard the opinion of those who to be honest were quite angry after the game was finished and you know i know from a lot of the responses that we got on social media my tone was a little bit more humorous and some people um were, were rightly quite quite angry at the situation because you're right you're completely right it does damage the reputation of the league and if this league wants to be cons- taken seriously not just by Um, the fans not just by sort of third party viewers you know it needs to kind of act in a more professional way than it is now um the one thing i'll just say Barton, is that you can either laugh or you can cry and and honestly this time i was absolutely pissing myself it was it was unreal
1: i I would like to see a a thread on twitter of all the um the the sort of quote tweets where the people were suggesting what the guy was saying down the phone I thought yours was quite good about the Chinese order I really liked <laughs> was it Sam Fonseca's or he's like what's up <laughs> I thought that was a really good one. I think that would be a, a great little thread of a yeah, yeah. different one yeah uh, new meme format
0: absolutely and yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, well let, let's, let's move on Barney and talk about another game because all of that drama overshadowed another game this weekend arguably the biggest game of the season so far you know uh, as I said in our Portugal preview Uh, preview article, a Classico of sorts, as uh, Braga took on Sporting in the quarry, Um, the first time any of the top four have played each other in the league this season. Obviously a game of great interest. Um, And in contrast to the Porto game which preceded it, uh, I thought this was uh, an entertaining watch for all the right reasons. Really good game of football between two good teams. Sporting took the league through Pedro Gonçalves in the first half. They thought they doubled that lead uh, when Morten Hulman scored from range, but that was ruled out by VAR for offside as sporting players were judged to have uh, uh blocked Mateus's view. And then Braga with a wonderful, wonderful free kick courtesy of Alvaro giallo to tie the game uh, later on. It ended 1-1, and I think on balance, um, I think Braga probably will be slightly happier with that result than sporting, just because they did have the ball in the back of the net twice. But in my opinion... I think it was probably a fair result, a very balanced game uh, and two teams who look very good this season.
1: Yeah, I think it was a very balanced game. I think both teams had their moments. Um, Sporting are particularly good Uh, in in the first half, I thought. um, And it was really interesting to see these two teams face up again uh, after... I was just sort of just reminded, but Sporting beat them 5 0 last Christmas, didn't they? Despite Braga's um, finishing third at the end of the season, you know, that still reminds me that, that you know Sporting had that ability to heap on a heavy defeat to this Braga team. But I think that the journey of both these team, teams have come on since then, Braga's sort of obviously grown and got better. And so I think this was always going to be a much tighter game. I think yeah, Sporting, I, I mean, first of all, Pedro Gonzalez's finish. I, I just. He didn't touch the ball. It was his first touch, which is what I love because he did so many little feints and you know his feet got close, but he didn't actually touch the ball. Let it roll. Let it roll. Get closer to the goal and just hit it into that top corner. I mean, you you are sort of forgiven to um, forget he's got that in his locker because he, you know he, he's a hell of a finisher. And I remember the, the the season where he burst onto the scene. How, how much I talked about his finishing and I think we were we were comparing him to. I don't know if I even compared him to Michael Owen. At one point, you know, he just he, 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 I'm not sure. He'd thank you for that, Barney. <laughs> More charismatic, hopefully. I'm thinking Michael Owen against Argentina. You know, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> in his part. Um, But look, great player, and and was it Diamond in the build-up for that? Who, who put that ball through? You know, and how impressive he was in this game. He, he really showed because at points, Brogga was sitting quite far back, and Diamond would just get forward, not afraid to you know push right up comfortable on the ball find those little passes find those little gaps um, he, he was really impressive and with Anassi as, as well having um, a really good start to the season the, those those two just I really really like and, and I think we're starting to see like uh, how Amo wants to play like and how key those two centre-backs are going to be because they, they're the ones that always start in the moves they're the ones always comfortable on the ball they've both got great passing ranges can get the ball through the lines forward up the pitch and um, and, we, and and I think that that's exactly how I want to play.
0: Yeah, I think you're spot
1: on. Those two players,
0: Inacio and, and Diamande, if they're both playing at their best, I think they're two of the best young centre backs in the league. And it's really pleasing not just to see Diamande doing well because you know I think he definitely overtook Inacio in terms of reputation last season. But great to see Inacio do well because his, his form did take a dip last year. And it's important to remember that he is a young player still learning learning the game, and and you know. He can't play games on his own. He relies on his teammates either side of him. He's got a, a left wing back on, on his side who loves to get forward. So he's not protected very often. So those two playing well, I think, is is a is a huge positive for Sporting. Um, and I think Sporting look at a really great place. I think, you know, they've got great strike partnership. Pedro Gonzalez is, is scoring goals. Um they've got Nuno Santos playing well, their centre backs are playing well. They just signed a really exciting right wing back. They've they've signed a great Central midfielder who's going to play alongside Marito, who looks who looks pretty good. So they look really, really strong all over the pitch, and I think it was a, a credit to Braga that, like you said, last this time last season they lost the game five nil. I don't think that was a kind of accurate result in terms of how the difference between those two teams at the time, because obviously Braga finished above Sporting in the league last season. But I think it does show that you know we're talking a lot about this Sporting team who signed what is it, nearly €50 million worth of players. So, you know, they spent a lot of money this season. Braga spent comparatively less money, but they looked, um, they really held their own and they looked equally good in this game. Um, It was a game defined by two great goals. And and like I said, the free kick from Alvaro Giello, I think, um, was a goal of of quality that deserved a result from this match. You know, when you score a goal like that, you deserve to get something out of the game. So, um, yeah, I think, Hopefully, both teams will look back at this as, as a positive result and see it as them them playing very well.
1: Alvaro yellow is a player who I, I I definitely haven't given enough attention to over the past season or two. He, he, I mean, I, I saw well. It's worth remembering that he was playing in Liga Three um, just over a year ago, and uh, under Artur George, and Artur George obviously promoted him to the senior team when when he got the managerial job. Has used him mainly as an impact sub, but he's got some. Big, he's got cropped up with quite a few goals throughout last season, and obviously this one was a an incredible finish. And um, he's he, he looks like you know we we talked a lot about Braga's transfer dealings this summer, but I think you know our Ar- average um, Allo completely personifies the job that Artist George has done in terms of player development and bringing a team forward. You know, with the, you know getting getting more out of his players, instilling confidence. Um, you know, I think that he's a he's a Prime real prime example of the job that Arthur George has done Braga of course
0: the only team who will be in action uh, this weekend during the international break they had a game postponed for their Champions League qualifiers so they're going to play more on the 9th of September um, to catch up with their game in hand um, let's move on Barney and talk about Benfica versus Vitoria um, as the listeners will, will know we mention it every week we write a weekly preview article for the portugal.net website where we preview all the action that's about to come up in uh, the Premier League this weekend. Uh, And this week, Barney, well, last week, I should say, I dedicated a a fair chunk of that article to this game, Benfica versus Vittoria. um, And I described how this was definitely going to be Benfica's toughest game of the season so far. And so naturally, Barney, they won the game 4-0, their most emphatic victory of the season so far. In my defence, it was a very tight game. Right up until the moment when Vittoria scored a spectacular own goal. And honestly, George Fernandes will not score a better header in his career. It's just a real shame that it was in uh, his own net. And then, of course, Joram Mendes decides to fly kick Nicolas Otamendi in the chest, which uh, the referee decides on balance is probably worth a red card. And I think I probably agree with him. Um, from that point on, then Benfica were in complete control of the match. Um, a real tough one for Vittoria because, you know, they started off so well. And even, Bonnie, I thought with 10 men, they still had a decent go of the game. But I think when you're playing with 10 men against the Benfica side with the type of quality they've got, it's going to be really hard work.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's always really hard to um, judge a team when they go down to 10 men um, against such a good team. Uh, I mean, Paolo Tura, uh, the, the new manager, who interestingly... Like Moreno, his predecessor, doesn't have the coaching level equivalent of a uh, level four in Portugal, the level required uh, for coaches to have. And uh, <laughs> it just sort well, of like just hire someone who's got the qualifications. <laughs> but look, I'm uh, I'm surprised we haven't seen much change to the 11 for Fidtori. You know, they've, they've very much kept the same team that's played most of the start of this season. Um, and they, they obviously have a lot of players to come in. Uh, you look at like Nuno Santos, the ex Benfica players, when he played three minutes, Thomas Ribeiro, the centre back. Zero minutes, Ricardo Mangas is injured. And the player who, who has made the most impact at eleven is Jao Mendes, who they signed from Chavez, who's got a goal and assist and now a red card <laughs> and just hundred and forty four minutes. But yeah, I, the point I'm trying to make up is that you know, I think the international break has come at the right time, Victoria and 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 Palotura, the new manager. They'll they'll wanna just get get on the training ground, maybe change up change up the formation, bring in some some of the new players and gonna sort of have a fresh start off this 'cause uh yeah, you know, there's nothing you can do against Benfica when you're down to, down to 10, men.
0: No, exactly. I mean, the thing I was thinking of, this game was obviously disappointing to get a player sent off and lose the game in that manner. But if you're going to score an own goal, do it like George Fernandes did it. And if you're going to get sent off,
1: do it like Joel Mendes did. So uh, uh, fair play that, to them. Does that count as a Deemarie assist? Because it was a lovely outside <laughs> of the foot. I'm not just thinking of my fantasy. I just feel like I deserved it. <laughs> I think I mean? did get the fantasy points,
0: actually. Yeah. <laughs> Um, listen, of course, obviously from that point on, Benfica weren't charge. They could really express themselves. We saw some very nice link-up play between Rafa and Di Maria. And for his goal, Barney, Orkan Kocu really announced himself to this league with a pretty spectacular shot from distance, struck first time, curls it into the far top corner from, from outside the box. Um, we've been told he's special. But um, I think he's he started to show it in this game.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, the thing that struck me really is that you know we've we've and Kosciusko and Neves in that midfield two for the whole season, and and yet the their whole success last year was built around Florentino and Enzo, or Florentino and Chichinio, like, and these two players have both come in, in particular Koshu. I think Schmidt spoke about it as well. Afterwards, you know, he said that he's he's obviously got the the striking ability. He's got the um. The physicality, you know, he did a lot of work in this game, obviously getting up and down the pitch. Uh, but the thing he, Roger Smith was most impressed is his, his tactical understanding and the way he can, he can press and the way he can read the game and and, and cover, which, you know, maybe it's the fact he wore a number 10 shirt, maybe the fact everyone was sort of talking about his creativity. I wasn't sort of expecting him to be so robust, if you will, or, you know, so so almost a complete midfielder. Um, and, and like you said, it's an absolute beautiful hit. He's really, um, yeah. He, he he just looks fantastic, and and like I mentioned, Xiao Nevis as well, just alongside him, really well balanced. You mentioned Rafa and Di Maria. there. How about forgive me, because I can't. I forget on how much I've talked about Rafa. I can't remember if I've because because I, I, basically what I want to what I'm trying to say, I I think that relationship is really interesting because you see it in the game. You see the understanding between the two players. You see the the balls they play to each other. We know Di Maria's quality, right? We've seen he's been at Real Madrid, he's been at Man U, he's been at PSG, he's been at top clubs in the world. Rafa hasn't, but for, but because they have that understanding, because they obviously, you know, if Rafa had been to those other clubs, I I think he would have been as, as good, you know. I think he's he's that good a player. I I think that's why we see him and Di Maria work so well because he has that quality, he has that footballing understanding, he has that instincts. And um, that really puts him up there. And I, I just think this relationship is going to blossom. I think they're going to be really, really dangerous together. I think for
0: Rafa to, to be at his best, he needs to play with with top, top players. And, you know, the conversation we have about Rafa all the time is that he he drops off as seasons go on. I think he sometimes can lack motivation, especially as you say, because, you know, Benfica is the biggest club he's ever played for. He can probably feel, you know, a little bit stale playing there at times. But, um, you know, I think, like you said, he's relishing playing with Angel Di Maria at the moment. I'm sure that, the you know, Di Maria being there kind of excites him a lot. And, uh, and yeah, just like it did playing with Darwin Nunes and, and, and those other great players uh, beforehand. So, you know, I, as long as Di Maria is there, I think we'll see um, Rafa playing at his best. And I think, lastly, Barney, uh, I think Benfica needed this win. It was a really easy one, you know, but they just needed something for the fans to enjoy. I think, you know, the one thing I wrote in in our weekend preview article is that anything other than a convincing win would uh, would not appease a kind of already agitated fan base. And you know, despite the fact that they're, they're playing against ten men, I think um, Benfica would, would really need it, just a convincing win, plenty of goals, uh, good football, and, and I think that will kind of settle down a lot of the fans who've been who've been quite agitated. The transfer window is over now. They've brought in some good signings. They've moved on a, a, a player that they saw as a problem player. And I think, um, you know, it's a strange thing to say about a team who've who've won all but one of their games. But it's been a little bit of a, a shaky start to the season for Benfica. And I, I wouldn't be surprised now if, now the transfer window's closed, they've got their players in. Um, they've got some wins under their belt. They'll, they'll really settle down and start playing uh, as we know they can really play. Well, let's move on, Barney. And we have really done a a disservice um, to the league leaders by saving their game to our fourth game uh, of the podcast. Uh, And that is, of course, because after four games, the team at the top of the table are none other than Bovista with 10 points, 10 goals scored and only five conceded. Um, One of those wins, of course, being on the opening day of the season against Benfica. They continued their winning form this week with a 2-1 win over Estoril. and week after week they continue to prove those of us wrong that thought that they were really going to struggle this season because there's no two ways about
1: it, Barney. They they look really good. Yeah, and I can't remember if we've properly discussed their their transfer situation as well. I think we they were under um well alluded to the fact that they've obviously under a lot of financial restrictions with their the way they've been um managed. But um like we Rav they were they were unable to sort of make um any signings this summer so Petit is obviously Petit is obviously using uh, the, the same squad that he had last year minus those departures someone described it really well and forgive me I can't remember their name but they're a team that uh, aren't afraid to take risks but they they don't sacrifice the defensive stability and I think that perfectly sums them up but particularly when you look at the likes of Pedro Maliero you've got one of the goals in this game the right back a right back, if you will, who get forward. So you've on your meet you on the left hand side where he plays. Um, I know it was Ferreira this game, but you know, despite these guys taking risks and getting forward, the rest of the team counteracts that and balances it out. And you look at players like Sebastian Perez, who is certainly a player I haven't. You know, we always I always go to Makuta. He's my go-to midfielder to praise when that the team. You know, I've I've closely watched him for a whole a long time. But I've realised what Sebastian Perez is. And, and I'm always loathe to say it because I feel like it's used so often. And I couldn't think of a better example. But everyone it's the sort of player that everyone describes it, like a Michael Carrick-type player. You know, those midfielders who, they don't, the, you know, you don't obviously see what they do. They do a lot of work. Uh, every player, they're their favourite player to play with. But, you know, he's not scoring bangers. Or, you know, they don't have these on-field characteristics that make them stand out. Like someone who's got just tons of energy or someone who's got like the, the flare passes or something like that. It's just just a midfielder who's so stable so calm um just t- tidily goes about their business and of course alongside Makuta that he's, he's a huge part of their success this season you know he's a really really solid midfielder um and and someone Petty's is very lucky to have
0: yeah and I think he's a great example of obviously because of that transfer ban they're having to find players from within this squad that they've got to kind of step up and 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 be key players and I think he's a great example of that um the two other examples of that barney were the two goal scorers the first that you already mentioned Pedro Meliero really interesting player um he's a right back but seems to pop up with with these great goals very often um he scored a lovely goal in this game it was a kind of Struck on the half-volley from outside of the box into the ground, bounces into the net. Really, really uh, impressive goal and, and another good performance from him, I think, you know in this league where there's not so many standout uh, full I think Morero could make a name for himself as one of the best fullbacks to watch in this league. And the other was the second goal scorer, Thiago Morais. Young player, I think he only turned 20 on the day of this game. Uh, on loan at La Choice last season um but gets his chance in the first team thanks to that transfer ban and the fact that they lost players like Kenji Gore so there's a place on the wing for for him he's really taken that chance because he scored a great solo goal in this game not his first goal of the season works his way into the box from the left-hand side finishes with his left foot into the top corner i think you know like i said just a really good both of those players examples of of how uh, boavista have have found players from within their squad ready to step up and I think perhaps the credit for that also partly has to go to, to the manager and Petit because you know, there was so much negativity from the outside looking in on Burvester before the start of the season but um, Petit's really galvanised that squad and clearly he's imparted a lot of, of self-belief and, and motivation into those players and and, and they're, they're reaping the benefits. Just quickly on, on Esther Barney. It's, it's another game that they've lost where I felt like they they kind of needed to win. Um, and despite promising signs, especially attacking, I think they're still lacking something uh, defensively. I think, you know, I love Alvaro Pacheco, but I think that is kind of a, uh, a symptom of his teams. You know, he, he seems after the games to think, oh, we played well, we deserved more out of the game. And I think, well, he did. You know, you did attack well and it's all well and good getting forward, but you need to stop the other team putting the ball in the back of the net and they don't seem to be great at that at the moment. That said, um, I thought it was a good goal from Alejandro Marquez and if we're talking about good young players, I think he's another exciting young player to watch um, this season. He scored to make it 1-1. Um, interesting player, young striker, quite tall, left-footed. Uh, Venezuelan, I believe he was on the books at Ju- Juventus. Um and you know, Estoril or another team who, who lost key players in the summer—they lost players like Thiago Gouveia, they lost uh, Chico Geraldes, um, and I think he—if they're going to find players to to, to step up and, and fill the void of those those kind of key players in the side—I think Alejandro Marquez is uh, is one of those players that that could be that.
1: You know, what, I I, I generally think Estoril have felt quite unlucky, um, just to... Bring a bit of expected goals to the table. They would. They actually have an expected goals against of three point six, and they've conceded eight. So, you know that 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 sort of implies that they you know, some of the goals conceded are very, very, very good, <laughs> and sort of like a bit un, perhaps unfortunate, if you will. Um, although they also seem to be um fortunate in the goals four as well, because they're only expected four point five goals, but they've actually scored seven. So, it seems to work both ways. But look, I think the reason I'm inclined to say that they're unlucky is because also they have had some real standout players. You mentioned Alejandro Marquez looks like an excellent striker, as you said. And then of course the other Yao Marquez, Jao Marquez and a sort of almost a, a revelation this year. Um, He's, he's got obviously a lot to, to, to live up to this season. I think he's, he's going to be a really exciting player to watch. And, and finally Jordan Holsgrove, right? He, Stats-wise, Albert, he is right up there You know, in, in all aspects, not just his passing, defensive contributions as well. He's having an incredible season. So I think the point I'm trying to make, I, I still think there's a really good team in there. I still think Alvaro Pacheco has the ability to get the best out of these players. And I think it will come. Perhaps they just need a bit more time and perhaps they just need a, a bit more luck. Yeah, I'm I i, I I'm not as worried as some of the reaction I have seen and, and, and even some of the reports of uh, Pacheco being uh, sort of a at risk of his job perhaps. Well
0: mm, time will tell. I definitely hope um they improve it. And I think they can improve, but like I said, they got a they got to cut out the goals because they're conceding too many at the moment and it's um it's a recipe for uh, for failure, sadly. Um, well let's do one last game, Barney, um, because I wanted to make time to talk about Moraren's who got their first win of the season, an important two one win over Shavs away from home. Um, they went ahead through Allen in the first half. Uh, they saw a second goal ruled out by VAR for offside. They thought they might have thrown it away in the second half when uh, a mistake lets Chavs back into the game. But uh, they got a late winner from uh, Camacho, which gave them three points. Um, and although it was quite a tight game on paper, they had quite uh, similar stats to two teams. I think it was a three points that that Rennes deserved.
1: I really, really thought that this was yeah, I, I, just because of Shav's performances recently. I really thought Maroons were going to get something from this game, and I was excited to see you know some of their players have an opportunity. Um, I'm not afraid to admit, I captain Cody Sang in my fantasy team. I rule, <laughs> and of course, he's one of the one attacking midfielders who doesn't get a goal or assist. <laughs> but look, obviously, get you know the likes of Alan, um, Who I was very excited to watch this season. You know, a lot of uh, promise from him last year, and it looks like a really exciting little creative midfielder in behind Uh, Lewis Camacho as well. Uh, another winger that I'm excited to see both putting in really, really good performances and, and, and really causing Shabs a lot of problems defensively. I think I've said it in our pre season show as well. I think those those three players, Kodisang, Allen, and Camacho, are going to be really, really important for for Morrons. There was so much creativity, there so much promise, um, and particularly Alan. But I don't know why it's, it's it's probably the name, it is the name. <laughs> but I just I'm just really drawn to him. It just looks like a really interesting player.
0: Well, he scored a really good goal. And uh, the thing I like about Morens, Bonnie, I'm going to make a comparison for you and the listeners that I, I hope you like, and it's that for me Morrons are are the Portuguese Burnley. You know, the last time we saw them in the Premier League, they were. You know, the sort of Lito Vidigal side. They played negative football, just staying up by the skin of their teeth. They got relegated. They bring in an interesting manager. They sign some interesting players and they come up and they're playing interesting football and uh, kind of reinvented themselves a little bit for me in the the way that they play. Um, It's a really incredible style of football to watch. Um, So fast on the counter-attack. Loads of small, quick players that can build up from the back quickly. Um, and I, I, I'm really enjoying how they play. They play good, positive football. They played exactly the same way against Porto uh, and they nearly got a result in that game. They tried to play the same way against Family Cow and Family Cow I thought actually did well and showed them a lot of respect to kind of frustrate them. They got a draw in that game. But I just think it's a great to see uh, a smaller team in this league um, being promoted, playing that kind of football and, and 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 getting good results from it. And
1: you know, I hope they get a few more good results. I think they deserve this one. They also look really well balanced, you know, the the, the starting eleven that they went with this. Side. I mean, the fullbacks Fabiano and Frimpong, I think, are really good, and and they've got the Maracas, who who's been in this league before, and, and Marcelo as well, a bit of experience, and Franco and Afari, a, a, a decent holding midfielder. So I think that starting eleven, in particular, is very very strong. I think perhaps you could look at the bench and 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 the players they've they've got at their disposal to bring on might be there where they might fall down as the season progresses. A little bit Charles, I I think it was interesting that um Paolo Victor was sort of dropped and Lemiris was brought in to sort of play as a number ten. Sort of something we discussed in our um transfer show about uh Charles transfers and how they might want to shape up. Um didn't seem to have much an effect and actually Victor <laughs> Paolo Victor came on and got the assist for Bruno Lange. But um Lange Langer coming back into the team is, is is very important and I think um Jose Mot uh, Gomez, sorry, um Flirted with the idea of giving Cruz a start because if you remember, Langer got that red card early in the season. But this, um but even after his suspension, uh Cruz was given the starting uh the starting spot ahead of him when he was available. But obviously, you know, you can't. Langer's probably one of their best players, so it, it makes sense to bring him back in. And obviously, it was, it was good to get his goal. Um, but once again, I'd maybe suggest another team who are quite looking forward to the international break to get a bit more time. And because they, they have been quite active last few days of the season, So, um, in the transfer window, sorry. So they'll, they'll, they'll be looking to sort of settle on a team and, and try and build from that.
0: I mean, you talk about fantasy team fails, Barney. Some of us kept faith in Bruno Langer in their uh, fantasy team starting eleven, despite their 5-0 loss. Last week, and they were repaid with a cheeky eight points, thanks to his goal. Lovely job. Um, but yeah, just just last year on Shout out to Barney, um, I thought they were better in this game. They weren't amazing, but they were better. I thought they were lucky to get the goal. They had a few chances, which I thought kind of flattered to deceive a little bit. Chances that they didn't really make a lot of. That weren't particularly dangerous. I'm, I'm getting slightly worried, Barney. They have they have an air of and forgive me. They have an air of the Passos de Ferreira about them. You know, when we at this stage last season, when it was Passos and Maritimo. To be fair, it was two teams who lost the first. Well, they actually went on to lose the first ten games of the season. But it was at this stage, you know, those first four games, where you haven't got a win in your first four games. You go into international break, and you just need to get a win from somewhere. You need to start putting points on the board because these losses, they keep mounting up don't they? They, they and they can they can come quickly and, and if you're not careful before you know it you can get into a situation where you've gone five six games without a win and you know I think that can affect the players mentally so I think it really is important for for Chavs to to I mean it's such a stupid thing to say but they need to start winning games because they've got zero points but like you say they, they made some interesting signs in the transfer window so you know let's see if they they back the manager because they've clearly brought in the players that he wanted the player that he asked for they gave him a transfer window. Are they going to stick with him? I think that they can play a lot, lot better than they are playing this season. We saw them play very well last season. You know, they were nearly in the European places last season. And I think they've improved the squad that they've got there. So um I'm optimistic about Shavs, but they've really got to start showing it on the pitch before, you know, they let things get out of hand. All right. Well, I think we're going to leave it there for this week, Barney. That brings us to the end of our discussion of Premier League of Fictions for this week. If you've enjoyed listening. Um, definitely leave us a little review on Apple Podcasts you can leave us a star rating on Spotify if you've got friends who enjoy Portuguese football or that you think will enjoy Portuguese football you can send them this show if you think they might enjoy it and as always don't forget that if you're a regular listener if you listen listened to the show for a little while now uh, and you want to help us out in a big way head over to our Patreon where you can become a long ball football socio for just one pound a month, and uh, it really does make uh, a big difference. So definitely consider that if you've been listening for a little while. Um, but that just needs me to, to say, Barney. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you next week. Yes.